A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure and honor of interviewing Dr. Terry Walls. As a patient and person, I am particularly excited when I get to meet and learn from people who have been on both sides of a problem or situation. Perhaps there is no better example than a doctor-patient, as doctors are typically not used to being wrong and do not typically have the time to study or verify that there may be better solutions than what they can provide. Thus, the slow evolution of medicine. So you should have already noticed a pattern in my interviewees in that they are ever curious and adaptive, contrarian in their thinking, not willing to stop until optimal health is achieved, and quite simply looking to give their patients every edge they can get. They also do not ignore nor shun Western medicine. Even Dr. Sidney Baker recently took antibiotics for Lyme disease and had surgery on his back. Everything has its place in fighting the establishment versus embracing the valuable things it has to offer is critical. As to Dr. Walls, I think that as you read or listen to this podcast, you will find you will hear some of the clearest and simplest on-target thinking about how to address not just multiple sclerosis, but also all autoimmune disease. And to a great extent, you will find tactics to support the body for any situation from disease to extreme high performance. More than most interviewees, Dr. Walls is quite linear in her addressing cycling through her protocol. So she provides a great framework for building your individual routine or helping your patients build theirs. I would also suggest you go to Amazon as the link in the show notes provide and get her book. It is a staple for any library. I am trying something new today. Instead of creating detailed show notes, we are providing the whole transcript with intermittent highlighting so one can skim and see where the material parts are to slow down and read and absorb. I hope to get feedback on this method, so please do not hesitate to email us at protocols at p5hv.com. And with that, here's my interview with Dr. Terry Walls. Hi, uh, this is David Eigen here, and uh, bringing you the next edition of P5 Protocols. And I am fortunate enough today to have Dr. Terry Walls, who is also a clinical professor of medicine at University of Iowa, where uh, she is doing uh, clinical research, uh, primarily focused on uh, multiple sclerosis, I believe, amongst other neurological diseases. And I want to thank you for uh, joining me here today. Well, thank you for having me. Um, so as I um, mentioned to you before we started, uh, the the focus of P5 protocols is to get at how people can learn uh, uh, what they can do to help themselves as well as what paths they can find to find uh, support, help, um, in their path to recovery, but also for the broader practitioner community that uh, either wants to expand the way they practice uh, or has uh, not historically had access to this kind of information. Now, obviously, in this world, it's getting uh, a little easier with books and the internet, but I, I still am always amazed at, at, at how people, until they're faced with a need to change, um, don't typically look. So, um, you know, what I'd love to start with is if you would just talk about your background, because you have one of the most interesting backgrounds. I, I love it when I get to speak to people who are patients also. But if you sure. wouldn't mind starting with your background. And, so, yeah, I, I'm a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, uh, very much a traditional internal medicine doc. And for many years, I could not understand why uh, patients were wasting so much money on these complementary integrative medicines that were not properly regulated uh, and not, in my mind, thoroughly vetted. Uh, so I was uh, very skeptical uh, on uh, these exotic diets, uh, vitamin supplements, and uh, a lot of integrative uh, approaches. Yeah, I was also, uh, had been an athlete, uh, then went off to medical school and was a practicing physician. Uh, and then in uh, 2000, I was diagnosed with uh, relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. And again, remind everyone that I'm an academic person. So I was going to treat my disease as aggressively as I could uh, and sought out the best MS center that I could find in the Midwest, which was the Cleveland Clinic. They were doing clinical research. 
you know, and I took the newest drugs, saw their best people. And over the next three years, I had just one uh, episode relapse, a weakness in my right hand that went away with steroids. And so if I'd been in a drug trial, this would have been considered a success. But the problem was I'd continue to decline and I uh, was having uh, difficulty with my trunk muscles. I could not sit up. I needed a tilt recline wheelchair. I, I took chemotherapy in the form of uh, Novantrone, continued to decline, and then took the new biologic drug that we we're all so excited about, uh, which was uh, Tizabri, continued to decline. Uh, that was pulled from the market. Uh, and then I switched to uh, Celsept. Uh, and continued to decline. That's when I uh, saw how, how bad things were. I, I couldn't sit up anymore. Um, I, I was having uh, severe fatigue. Uh, I needed uh, two walking sticks to walk uh, very short distances. Otherwise, I had a, a zero-gravity recliner from which I worked at work and another one uh, at home, uh, or I was in bed. Uh, and that's when I started reading uh, the basic science, uh, at first looking for drug studies, and then it occurred to me that I should look for things I could actually access, which were uh, nutraceuticals. Um, and uh, I began experimenting uh, on myself using these uh, nutraceuticals. Uh, I'd reached the conclusion that mitochondria were the drivers of neurodegeneration and likely were the big drivers for MS. So I uh, then began to research what I could do to support my mitochondria more effectively and ended up with a uh, rich vitamin and supplement cocktail, which if I missed it, I could not get up and go to work. So I realized that my vitamins were really very helpful. Uh, they were slowing the speed of my decline, uh, but I was certainly not recovering. Then I, uh, in the summer of 07, I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine and took their course on neuroprotection, had a longer list of vitamins and supplements, which I added. And uh, then uh, later that fall, I had a, a new aha. I should uh, uh, redesign my eating plan uh, to maximize the intake of these nutrients uh, that I had been taking in, in pill form. And I'll back up just for a moment. Uh, uh, a year after being diagnosed, I had switched from being a vegetarian, which I'd been for 20 years, to uh, a paleo diet, as Lauren Cordain had uh, described it. So with a lot of meditation prior, I went back to eating meat. Uh, but I'd continued to decline. I, I stayed with it because after reading the various papers and science, I decided that there was a, a rationale and that it might... Uh, at least it was something that I was doing. So I had adapted the paleo diet, continued to decline, uh, added vitamins and supplements, slowed the decline. And then in the uh, fall, I redesigned my diet to maximize the nutrients I was taking in, in supplement form uh, to get that all from food. And, you know, the speed of my chain was really quite uh, remarkable. Uh, within three months, uh, I was up out of my wheelchair, walking with a cane. My fatigue was gone. My brain fog was gone. Uh, the uh, pain, I have a lot of pain from my MS. Uh, that was largely gone. Uh, at six months, I was walking without a cane. Uh, at nine months, I got on my bicycle for the first time, probably in about six years. Uh, pedaled around the block. Um, I was crying. My wife was crying. My kids were crying uh, because I... I now began to wonder, like, you know, just how much recovery might be possible. Uh, and at 12 months, I was able to do a 18-mile uh, bike ride with my family. Uh, since that time, I've uh, really uh, shifted uh, my understanding of disease and health. I've spent a lot more time with my patients focused on uh, addressing diet, uh, lifestyle, uh, integrative approach uh, to their health. Uh, and I've seen some remarkable turnarounds in my clinical practice. Uh, then um, my uh, chief of medicine uh, called me in and told me that he wanted me to uh, write up a case report because it was so remarkable to have progressive MS reverse. And after we got that published, uh, my chief of staff uh, and chief of medicine called me back in and wanted me to 
abandon my prior research and instead do a clinical trial testing my protocol and others to see if it was uh, safe, uh, which we did. Uh, and we had such remarkable results that we've continued uh, to do uh, studies in this area. And uh, that's uh, where I am uh, doing my research at present. So, so back to you. Yeah, no, um, you know, it's, it's fantastic. I've, I've um, before we've spoken today, I've seen videos and, um, and we, we did speak once before and, and I, um, um, you know, the, the recovery is fantastic. And I actually, I, I've known a few people, um, and I have one friend in New York where the number one thing that seemed to take her down was gluten. Um, and then I've known some other people where gluten wasn't really the answer or certainly not the only answer. Um, but what, what I'd love to do is, is take a step back into, um, I, or really just into what you last finished on, which is your research and, and the people that have, that you've helped, um, so that I can effectively give people or we can give people, um, good reason to, to, to listen on, um, before mm -hmm. getting into the how. Uh, to do it. Um, and, and for those listening, there will be show notes. There'll be um, a, a link to a, a wonderful book called The Walls Protocol, um, as well as links to the research and other, other uh, materials uh, uh, off Dr. Wall's site. Um, but with your patients, what can, can you kind of tell us what kind of results, you know, more, a little more specifically than just general, than they've done well? Um, you know, who does well, how, how do they do, what is the typical length of time or range of time? Because I know each patient is different. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I, I wanted to have a little comment uh, about our research. Uh, the, the first thing that we studied were people with secondary and primary progressive MS. And, and at present, uh, when you have a progressive form of MS, uh, you don't anticipate to have functions return that have been lost particularly in the setting of primary progressive MS. Um, so we had a, a couple of primary progressive MS patients, and uh, I have some videos of the one lady who had uh, uh, severe gait uh, and balance problems, needed to have two walking sticks uh, to walk, uh, and within three months uh, of adopting the, the uh, study protocol, uh, she came back and her fatigue was uh, largely gone. Her mental clarity was greatly improved. Uh, and she was able to walk without any walking sticks, uh, much fa about 25% faster uh, than she had with the two walking sticks. Uh, and of course, that continued to improve. There are no case reports of people with primary progressive multiple sclerosis having improvements in energy, improvements in mental clarity, improvements in their thinking speed, uh, and or improvements in their walking speed and balance. Uh, so that is, uh, you know, so remarkable. In my clinics, uh, we'd have people with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, we've had people with uh, sclero uh, systemic sclerosis, scleroderma, uh, myasthenia, Parkinson's, uh, some uh, early cognitive decline, early Alzheimer's, who uh, we've evaluated uh, and used these kinds of diet and lifestyle principles. Uh, and again, had uh, marked improvements in energy, mental clarity, uh, reductions in pain. In uh, uh, our folks with obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, we, we could follow them with their biomarkers showing uh, uh, reductions of blood pressure, reductions in body mass, uh, reductions in A1C. At the same time that the person needs fewer drugs uh, for their diabetes, fewer drugs for their blood pressure. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's, it's remarkable. It's, it's not everyone, uh, but the biggest thing is you have to be willing to do this. You have to be willing to make these diet and lifestyle changes. And so the patient comes to you, what are the, you know, how do you start? I mean, from an intake set of tests. Sure. So, um, you know, for uh, several years, I, uh, well, when I first came to uh, Iowa, 
my, all my clinical time was at the uh, Veterans Hospital. I, and uh, so when I, uh, and for several years, I was in primary care and in the traumatic brain injury clinic. Uh, and so in the traumatic brain injury clinic, uh, we really didn't do any labs. Uh, I would see people 20 minutes, uh, two times a year. And uh, during that time period, I would uh, 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 give them a pep talk about the impact of diet and lifestyle and uh, make some, some very basic recommendations, inviting them uh, to have, an ex- as an experiment, removing sugar and gluten and ramping up the vegetables. If they're open to it, a uh, paleo diet with lots of vegetables, or a, if they were a vegetarian, vegan, a gluten-free uh, diet with lots of vegetables. Uh, and then we talked about some other uh, lifestyle interventions. Uh, try and get them a little fish oil uh, and vitamin D. And even in these clinics where I saw people just 20 minutes, twice a year, no labs, um, we could have some dramatic improvements in their function, uh, reduction of their chronic pain, uh, their irritability, uh, and really help some of these uh, veterans who had been on a very sharp uh, decline because of their traumatic brain injury, uh, turn things around, uh, save their lives, uh, uh, start performing well in school, and really do extraordinarily well. Um, Then we had so much success that uh, the chief of medicine uh, came to me and uh, told me that he wanted to take me out of primary care uh, and instead have me run a a clinic that would be using the concepts uh, that I wanted to use. And we called it the Therapeutic Lifestyle Clinic. Uh, And then uh, because, again, there was so much demand uh, driven uh, by our uh, success that I kept reimagining how we uh, served uh, our patients and uh, how we ultimately organized ourselves was a, a series of group visits and group classes. Uh, in the first class, people have to be referred in by their primary care or the specialist. And we'd have a class that would be as big as the room that we could find at the VIs. Uh, so we had um, uh, a, a conference room that could have hold up to 50 people in it. So we let people come uh, with them uh, and their family member. And I would tell my story, uh, talk about functional medicine. We'd talk about epigenetics, uh, the microbiome. Uh, toxin exposure, stress exposures, uh, lifestyle medicine, and uh, and tell some of the other healing stories uh, that we'd observed in clinic. Uh, and then, at, uh, and we had before and after photos. And uh, at the end, uh, we'd invite uh, the vets that they could either say, you know what, this is not the right time, uh, and they weren't ready to attack, uh, tackle diet and lifestyle. Or they could say, you know, I, I'm ready, but I can't commit to 100% 100 days because that, that's what I'd ask. But I'd like to work in my diet, and we'd send those folks to work with our dietitian to increase the vegetables as they were willing to do so. But the folks who were willing to go all in, uh, we'd ask them to commit to 100% gluten-free, preferably grain-free, uh, lots of vegetables, uh, and that we would bring, bring them back in for a series of group classes uh, where they would uh, uh, do what we call the timeline of the illness. We do that as a group. Um, we'd have some uh, basic primary care labs, which we'll go over in a few minutes. Uh, and then I would uh, perhaps personalize the uh, diet and lifestyle recommendation based on what we found in their timeline and whether or not they were a meat eater or a vegetarian. And then we would uh, bring them back for group classes uh, where uh, they would come in about every six weeks for some labs uh, and coaching as a group to, to adapt all of this. They'd, and they could come, them uh, and their significant other. Uh, and then we also had monthly skills classes where people could drop in and we would go over a variety of skills uh, such as some of the resilience factors, uh, the meaning of your illness, the hero's journey, um, diet classes. And these were all about cooking. We'd learned how to make fermented foods, uh, how to make sauerkraut, uh, chia pudding, 
uh, uh, grain alternatives, dairy alternatives. Uh, then we had movement classes, uh, things like Tai Chi and yoga, uh, strength training. Uh, and we had a variety of stress-reducing t- uh, classes. And, and so right now, if a patient comes to you and you, you take on a new patient, what, what is your protocol for that? It's, you know, it, it's the intake. It's the, what, what tests do you order typically? Sure. So, uh, you know, w- when they were coming through our um, lifestyle class, we, we had this big informational class for the community and the person could decide I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to commit that I'll do 100% of the program for 100 days. Um, and then we bring them back. The The labs we get are, are just very basic primary care stuff. Uh, fasting, cholesterol, total cholesterol, and good cholesterol. A fasting glucose, a hemoglobin A1C, a B12, folate, homocysteine, Highly sensitive C-reactive protein. Okay. And, uh, and a total vitamin D level, 25-hydroxy uh, vitamin D level. So that uh, uh, people should, should uh, be able to get that uh, probably through their primary care doc. Um, it's not like any of this uh, uh, more fancy, sophisticated functional medicine labs that, that can become uh, quite pricey. Uh, the uh, next thing that we we're doing is what I call the timeline of the illness. Uh, and uh, we had a, a lovely questionnaire that we'd go through together as a group, uh, asking about some basic questions, born vaginally or C-section. Did you stay in the hospital longer or not? Did you get a lot of antibiotics as a child? Were you breastfed? And if so, for how long? Um what kind of uh, toxin exposures you might have had, such as a private well, agricultural or forestry chemicals, um, welding or soldering, solvents. Uh, then uh, we, we talk about uh, what were the uh, time points for some major life stressors in your life? Uh, what time did they come start? When did they end? Uh, so we, we're, we're looking at the diet and lifestyle factors that are contributing to health. We go through all of that. Then when I have those timelines made, then uh, we talk about, okay, so what are the three or four big symptoms that are a problem for you? Not the diagnosis, the big symptoms. And usually it's fatigue, pain, brain fog. Those are the three big symptoms. And then we go back to uh, when did they start? Uh, when were the major diagnoses? We fill some of that in. And when I've got that timeline of health and disease, then uh, during that, people can begin to have some ahas of the relationship between their environmental exposures and their illnesses that they develop. Because the the person... Uh, if they can't see the connections between their um, environmental exposures and their health, then they're going to have a hard time doing the things that I ask them to do because I'm asking them to give up uh, a, a number uh, of addictions uh, to sugar, white flour. Um, that can be pretty tough to let go of. Yeah, I, I, I know. I actually... Um... I've had plenty of people and they all think I'm crazy for being disciplined. So, uh, and, and I always look at them and, and I'd just rather at least attempt to age gracefully. Um, and, and I'm amazed at how many people just won't give that up. You know, you probably know a lot of folks who are smoking and can't give up their, uh, tobacco. And that's really hard. Um, and we know, uh, all too many people who, uh, get, down the alcoholism path, or now down the opioid uh, addiction path. Um, our, our brains are vulnerable to these addictions. Uh, and so I have a fair amount of compassion for these folks who, who do have their addictions to sugar and white flour, and now video gaming uh, and social media. 
that can make it very difficult because uh, all these things stimulate our reward centers in our brain, uh, and we are wired to want to keep stimulating those reward centers. Uh, and so, yes, that is difficult. It's it's clearly much much easier uh, if I can help people see the link between pain and uh, that by adapting these lifestyle changes, we can reduce their physical pain or at times their emotional pain. Uh, and a big thing that I talk about is that uh, for many of the folks that have come to see me, they've been suffering for years or decades and trying uh, conventional drugs that are very potent, very powerful for many, many years and they keep having to get more drugs uh, at higher doses and, and new drugs. And I say, well, you know, if you're ready to try something different, because you've been doing the conventional stuff for a long time, and it's, and you're still suffering a lot. Uh, and so if we can help uh, reduce your inflammation by taking these foods out that are likely triggers, and if you just take them out for 100 days at 100%, then we can sort it out, is it a trigger or not? Uh, and we can deal with some of the genetic vulnerability uh, that, that your homocysteine's high, so we know that your enzymes for managing the B vitamins are less effective. So likely uh, giving you some, well, some more of these vitamins that are necessary for how you manage the B vitamins and the homocysteine can help, again, lower that inflammation and likely uh, lower the pain. So it, it's, it's really very common. You know, people who are willing to do this with me They'll come back uh, for the first follow-up after uh, six weeks. And it's very common. It, the pain may not be gone, but they can tell that, yes, the pain is less. And it's the first time uh, that the pain is less. Mm. Uh, I tell you another thing. Uh, we have so many young men uh, that uh, have had their lives uh, greatly impacted by their uh, time in Iraq or Afghanistan uh, and have now uh, chronic severe pain uh, from the traumatic brain injuries uh, or uh, other trauma that they've uh, dealt with. Uh, and they often, very often, have erectile dysfunction, young men in their 20s. Uh, and so, you know, they'd come into our clinic, uh, we'd see them, I would do the eval, uh, show them the link between all of their toxic burn pit exposure and their weight gain. Uh, their uh, traumatic brain injuries, uh, and get them to go grain-free, lots of vegetables, uh, help them with their detox pathways. And these guys are coming back, uh, and they can tell that they're, they're a lot less irritable. They can tell that the uh, severe headaches uh, are less and the severe photophobia is less. Um, and uh, many of these guys have developed inflammatory bowel disease as part of their uh, uh, military tour. And they're discovering that their symptoms from the inflammatory bowel disease is going away. Mm. And they stay with me a couple more months, and then they come back, and they've got a big smile, and they're like, oh, my God, Doc, my love life is coming back. Um, and this... It, they can see big changes within uh, three to four months. And they've been suffering often for years, many, many years. Hmm. So if, if I were to take your, you know, maybe use, um, which is relatively easy to do, the, uh, to guide us the index from your book, um, you know, and as you mentioned early on, um, which, uh, Sid Baker, who, you know, was our first podcast, um, as always said, there's, there's typically at least something that, uh, shouldn't be there that needs to be removed or there may be something missing and, or there may be something missing that needs to be added back. Um, and, and maybe you just go over a little bit about what, what you focus on a lot in the book on, on mitochondria yeah. and, and bringing that back and kind of, explaining how this internally works um, to, to, yes, to help the body. So um, mitochondria is really where this all began for me. 
uh, and I'll sort of take it back. Uh, so I have progressive MS going steadily downhill, um, trying as I said, uh, uh, to begin reading the basic science and relearning all of this stuff. And it's not, uh, as I'm reading this, I, I start reading uh, basic science about Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, Huntington's disease. And I see that in all these diseases where you have a shrinking brain, which, by the way, you have when you have MS, you have a shrinking brain, that it's the mitochondria that are sending the signals to the brain cell that it's time to die too early. And that's why uh, the brain cells are uh, shrinking. And that's why the brains are shrinking. And that's why you have this slowly progressive nature uh, for many of these, quote, neurodegenerative diseases. So then I'm like, okay, I, I know they aren't writing about mitochondria and MS, but I figure it's, it's probably the same. Um, so I got to figure out more about mitochondria and what can I do to get my mitochondria resuscitated. And, and for the listeners, uh, the mitochondria are really ancient bacteria that about a billion and a half years ago, when we had... Uh, the sudden uh, increase over time of oxygen in the atmosphere, which killed off about 95% of all life forms then, uh, there was a fortunate mutation that led to the Krebs cycle, which led uh, a bacteria to be much more efficient at how it utilized oxygen. So this ancient little bacteria was engulfed by a bigger bacteria, and the two of them developed a very cooperative relationship which over millions of years led to a multicellular organism, uh, which led then to uh, animals. Uh, and you had this specialization so you could have brain tissue develop and heart and uh, endocrine organs and muscles and bones and all of that stuff. And it all happens because the mitochondria can generate energy efficiently. And it can let that cell specialize in other work. If the mitochondria become strained because it doesn't have all of the building blocks that it needs to run uh, the activities of the mitochondria, which are really all about generating more ATP. The mitochondria generate less and less ATP. That organ tissue can't do its job as well. And so in our bodies, the organ tissues that are most dependent on mitochondria are the heart, the retina, and the brain cells. And so if you're beginning to have problems with chronic pain, fatigue, brain fog, irritability, it's probably the mitochondria are not generating energy as efficiently. And so then if you begin to look at, okay, so what are all the uh, enzymes, the vitamins, the cofactors that make those enzymes work really well? That was the stuff I was studying, and that was the stuff I was taking in pill form. And it did help in that I figured out that if I missed my supplements, I was so exhausted, I just completely could not function. So I was immensely grateful for those supplements. It was a bunch of uh, coenzyme Q, uh, a variety of B vitamins, and some uh, different amino acids, uh, and uh, minerals. But What's really interesting is when I redesigned my diet to make sure I was getting all this stuff in the food supply, that's when, you know, there was this really dramatic uptick in energy and recovery and function that has just, you know, continued uh, uh, since that point. So uh, food is much, more, much, much more powerful than trying to figure everything out and taking it in pill form. Yeah, well, I, I, all the supplements I take, I think pretty much without exception are plant-based supplements um, as opposed to, you know, as opposed to, as you said, nutraceuticals. So, yeah. so, um, so, so patients typically see, so they come back in six weeks and, you know, part of what you're doing, obviously the, the, the treatment is also a diagnostic at the same time, right? Correct. You know, I, I think it's really vital that yeah, patients understand and, and, and really understand at a deep level uh, 
uh, this connection of all these environmental factors they've had in their uh, life story, their health story, that contribute to their health status. So they really understand how uh, their toxin exposures contribute, how their antibiotic exposures contribute, how their lifetime of food choices contribute. If they don't understand that, uh, then it doesn't make sense for them to do make the changes that we're going to ask them to make. Yeah, so, so, so there's diet, and then you know you talk about other things like electrical stimulation, exercises. What are the maybe just go through outside of food, which which I think you, you know you lay out extremely well in your book, um, uh, and and, and um, you know you go over in your lecture, uh, you know that you can find online as well. But maybe just go over some of the other components to fully stimulate sure. the body to recovery. So, um, um, uh, chapter three, yeah, it talks a lot about um, getting your life in order and understanding uh, what is your purpose, what is it that you want your health for, um, uh, what is your life's mission, because there's a vast body of research that if we understand our mission and our purpose. Uh, we have far more resilience for all of the health challenges that we face. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you that my, my vets taught me that this was actually one of the most popular classes that we ever, we ever taught was uh, all these classes about what's your mission, what's your life purpose, what is the meaning of your illness. Because for people to, to be willing to go on this journey of redesigning their diet and lifestyle, it's far easier if they understand how this relates to my purpose of, for example, wanting to see my uh, children graduate from college, uh, wanting to play with my uh, grandchildren, uh, because now I have meaning and desire uh, to want to make these changes. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, my patients taught me that that's one of the most important things that uh, we do. So we do that very early on. Uh, in our first meeting with these folks is to help them get in touch with their uh, uh, purpose and the meaning of their experience. Um, Then the next uh, big, and we talk lots and lots about diet. We also talk about stress in that we need stress. Stress is vital so you can have strong bones, strong muscles. We have to learn, pay attention so we have a strong brain. But we also have to have a period of relaxation uh, in every day, uh, every day, so that our our cells can go into that maintenance and repair cycle. And so we talk about uh, stress reduction, uh, the relaxation phase, and what are the various ways that people can create this relaxation phase, and what is it that they're going to do, what works for them. And, of course, we have a lot of folks who like hunting and fishing and gardening, just being outside or foraging. But we also have some folks who uh, like free riding, journaling, meditation, mindfulness, yoga. So so there are a variety of ways of doing that. It just needs to be something that is meaningful for that person. Uh, And we talk about sitting, being the uh, new smoking, that the more time we spend sitting the more inflammation we have in our blood vessels and our brain and our body. That being stationary uh, is a problem. That we want people to get up, to stand up, to move around, to walk. Um, And we talk about a a variety of ways that people can begin to add movement uh, into their their daily life uh, and their bodies. As you said that, I'm not I, sure if you heard any noise in the background, but I just raised my desk and stood up. So, <laughs> all right, good man. You know it, it, that that it's it's so important uh, to begin moving now. And we have people who are so ill that when when they're moving, when they do their workout, it's like a two minute workout. I was so ill that a 10-minute very gentle workout was all I could do. If I did 12 minutes, I couldn't function for uh, two days. Mm. So we have to take people where they're at and begin to uh, slowly and methodically uh, increase that. And And, and depending on on the circumstance, we might be able to use electrical stimulation of muscles 
or we might not. Uh, again, that would depend on uh, the individual. And, and are there any foods that you would automatically add that like, you know, I remember in your book, uh, like MCT oil or other things that you would suggest up front? Well, um, so uh, we autom- automatically add these this radical food group known as vegetables. Uh, many, uh, many of my uh, vets, uh, probably true of, of many gentlemen uh, in the U.S., is they eat uh, meat, sugar, white flour, and potatoes. And they think of potatoes as a, as a vegetable. Um, and so it's been so long since they've had any vegetables, uh, we have to help them understand how critical these vegetables are in healing uh, and increasing the vegetable intake. Um, I, I'm also, for people who are willing to eat meat, we're very, very fond of having liver. Uh, on the uh, table a couple times a week. I'm incredibly fond of having uh, heart on the menu as well. And it's actually, heart is so delicious. Heart is like filet mignon. Uh, it, it's uh, muscle meat. It's incredibly good. Great source of um, mitochondria. So it, it's milder than liver. Uh, it's, it's really very, very delicious. And, and do you, is this all recommended from grass-fed animals? Or? Well, so, um, again, when I was taking care of my vets, uh, most of the folks I saw had been on disability for a long time. They'd been unable to work. Uh, they're on food stamps. Uh, and so people start out getting conventional meat. Uh, they're getting canned vegetables. Uh, they're... We're working with them to figure out how to implement this on food stamps. Uh, but I, I will also, we talk about the importance of improving the quality of the food they eat. Uh, and so over time, it's very typical that our vets would figure out how to get start getting organic food uh, uh, into their home. And uh, they would uh, grocery shop, uh, they would hunt, uh, they would fish. Uh, they'd go to the farmer's markets. You know, my, my vets taught me that the, if you go to the farmer's market and you walk around, figure out who's got organic produce, you could go to that uh, farmer and, and negotiate with them what's the best price they could pay at the very end of the farmer's market when uh, it was closing up so the farmer's going to have to take everything home. And so that meant that some people were, were able to get everything that was left uh, for that farmer um, at a very reasonable price just so the farmer wouldn't have to take it back home again. So uh, people would start, we could start out with, you're going to just do the best you can according to the uh, resources that you have. And if you're on food stamps, you know, maybe it is canned food, frozen food, um, but even my folks on food stamps could often begin to figure out how to get more organic food onto their plate uh, by the end of the first month. Hmm. And okay, and so and and what about also vegetables in terms of uh, you know organic now and versus well, you know, because you're talking about neurotransmitters and other things that can be impacted yeah. by the bacteria in your gut. So, you know, again, um, we will take our, our patients where they're at, if they're on food stamps or not, um, but we certainly talk about how as soon as you can afford to go organic, do that, because you want to decrease your pesticide use, uh, your decrease your exposure to Roundup, uh, because these pesticides uh, and herbicides uh, and antibiotics uh, in your meat and hormones in your meat all have an impact on your microbiome. And that's the bacteria in our bowels that help digest our food. And in so doing, make small molecules so all get into our bloodstream and impact the health of our brain, including our mood, including our uh, neurotransmitters. And so this is um, the quality of the food that you eat is, is so important. We also talk a lot about diversity. Uh, we have a goal of having 200 different plant species that you consume in a year. 
Um, and I talk about, you know, having, thinking of, of food in three big categories, as in greens, as in sulfur-rich, as in uh, deeply pigmented. Got it. Um, so, all right, so, so can you kind of walk us through the timeline of a typical patient from when they first come in and, you know, over the next, I don't know, 6, 12, 18 months and, and what sure. you hope to sure. see? Um, so it, we, uh, I'll, I'll take you through uh, two people that I have in mind. Uh, a, a person with uh, diabetes, high blood pressure, um, uh, bipolar, uh, uh, so some psychiatric issues, uh, comes in, uh, gets educated about all of this. We do a timeline, a matrix, uh, check their labs, uh, start them on some B vitamins and fish oil, vitamin D. And uh, put them on the diet uh, and a low glycemic index diet. He comes back after the first month and tells us he'd like to do a ketogenic diet because he'd like to um, get better control of his diabetes. We put him on that, uh, and uh, within six months, he's off his diabetic meds, his high blood pressure meds, uh, his psychiatric meds. He's feeling the best that he's felt, uh, he thinks, in years, possibly uh, decades. Uh, within 18 months, he's lost over 100 pounds. His blood pressure is normal. His uh, blood sugar is normal. Um, and he uh, is the, he thinks the happiest he's been in many uh, many years. Um, we have uh, another uh, lady with uh, rheumatoid arthritis who uh, we put on a low glycemic index diet. Hers is a little bit different because of the rheumatoid arthritis. We also take her off of nightshades, so no tomatoes, potatoes, eggplants, peppers. Uh, in addition to our usual uh, paleo diet. And she loses uh, about 60 pounds. Uh, her pain melts away, so she's off pain meds. Uh, she uh, then is off blood pressure meds. Uh, her uh, arthritis is uh, inactive. Uh, and after, um, I think it was about a year, she decided that she wanted to go off the biologic uh, drugs. And uh, she uh, told her rheumatologist that she was, was going off the biologic drugs because she was doing so well. Uh, and uh, they were nervous, uh, but she was able to go off and, in fact, continue to do very well. Uh, she went to see her uh, daughter, uh, and her daughter did not recognize her in the airport because mom had lost weight and looked healthy instead of sickly. Mm. So, you know, it, it's, I'd say it's certainly very, very common that after 12 to 18 months, uh, pain uh, is markedly less, if not resolved. Uh, the person's weight, uh, pretty typically, we see people getting back to their weight that they had in their early 20s. Um, and we typically see people needing lower doses of medications. Uh, it, it, you know, it's not uncommon in the VA for people to come in on 15 to 20 prescription meds. So I would say people are definitely on fewer drugs, lower doses, uh, to get entirely off meds is a a multi-year project. But you can be very, very optimistic that in 12 to 18 months, uh, the medication list has been simplified, the medication uh, doses uh, reduced, uh, and sometimes uh, people get very close to being entirely off of everything. Wow. You know, what, what, what's interesting to me is, you know, when, when you're listing things uh, and different diseases that you wind up, the diseases being a clinical diagnosis, but diseases that you, that you treat, um, they all kind of fall into the um, autoimmune spectrum. And when I look at people who are practicing similar types of medicine, even for cancer, there seems to be really dramatic overlap uh, between all of them. You know, when I was first, um, you know, having my transformation in 2009, I'm uh, now in primary care talking about 
diet and lifestyle and uh, and I was doing this in my traumatic brain injury clinic. Some of my partners w- w- would get really upset with me. It's like, you know, Terry, you can't treat every disease the same way. And, you know, my response would be like, well, we all have mitochondria. We all have cells. I'm really focused on just creating the healthiest environment I can for the person's cells through nutrition and lifestyle. Now, fast forward, it's 10 years later, and these same folks who had been had a hard time understanding how I could use essentially the same protocol or very close to the same protocol across many disease states are coming back saying, I get it. It, re- it really can be this simple. We have to optimize the environment for that person. And we do that with diet and lifestyle. So you're always going to tell folks stress reduction is always going to be good. Vegetables are always going to be good. You may have to take out nightshades, or you may want to put somebody on a ketogenic diet versus a low glycemic index diet. So there's some personalization. But the big picture concepts are you always want a nutrient-dense diet. You always want a stress-reducing practice. You always want to gradually increase movement. And you want to reduce toxin exposures uh, according to what people are able uh, to do financially. That Those are consistent uh, concepts that we can implement for everyone. Yeah, it's um, you. You actually just answered my question, which is, which really, I mean, it's multi-part. A little more than I would have asked, because I would have asked for the top one or two. But you know, what are the things you would recommend people do first and foremost? And you pretty much just, pretty much just answered that. Um, so, um, so, so you're so you're looking at it from you know to kind of summarize from nutrition. Uh, adding what you need, getting out what you really shouldn't have, uh, exercise, uh, to stimulate, you know, the central nervous system, et cetera. And you have the, a, a great list of basic exercises. Um, do you, do you ever recommend, I just had a curiosity, anything like high intensity interval training once people are really coming back? Oh Yeah. You know, uh, this is one of the wonderful things about getting to be at the VA. Uh, a lot of these uh, uh, young men and women who were deployed, you know, so they're in their 20s, coming back, uh, they've had a, a, a big setback with their traumatic brain injury, um, but they're still young. So I often, uh, as they begin to recover, you know, in their biking or the brain to uh, uh, take walks, uh I can begin to have that conversation. Would they be interested in high-intensity interval training? We also talk about uh, something called the seven-minute workout, uh, which is you know, for people who are trying to tell me they don't have time, I send them to the length of the seven-minute workout and say, you know, just start doing this. It's not going to take you long, and you can decide uh, if you're really fragile that instead of doing seven or ten burpees, you just do one or two of each one of these exercises in that whole circuit. Then gradually increase it as you uh, get stronger. You know, my, my daughter was something that she didn't have time to work out, so I, I, I showed her the seven-minute workout. We did it together. And she's like, oh, my God, this is, this is really hard. Uh, and so she's now become a huge fan of that seven-minute workout. Uh, and it's a, a lovely uh, uh, high-intensity interval training uh, program for her. So. Great. Well, um, and is, is there anything we missed? I mean, you know, we talked well, a little bit about stress management. You know, one thing that we, we didn't really clarify in the diet is I am very keen that there are things to remove um, that people need. And I encourage folks to remove them for 100 days. So you can figure out, is this an issue for you? Gluten-containing grains, so wheat, rye, barley, and many of the ancient grains uh, have to come out. Um, and if the person's willing to go grain-free, I think that's better. Um, I also have them remove dairy because if you react abnormally to gluten, 
there's an 80% probability that you'll also react abnormally to the proteins in dairy. So that takes out milk, cheese, yogurt, everything but clarified butter. And then the third most common food sensitivity uh, is eggs. So we have people take eggs out as well. After 100 days, they can put it back in. If the person has night has uh, rheumatoid arthritis or inflammatory bowel disease, I also take out the nightshade family, potatoes, tomatoes, eggplants, uh, and peppers. And, and like with something like eggs, do you just uh, uh, discern between, you know, uh, uh, pasture-raised eggs versus... Well, so in that first 100 days, I take them out uh, because until you take them out, you don't know if you have a, a, a reaction to them. Mm-hmm. After the 100 days, you want to take them back in. The pasture-raised eggs are much, much better. And, it, um, and if you can find uh, someone who's raising uh, chickens uh, and letting them run around, uh, that's better yet. There, there are a lot of communities, Iowa City being, being one of them, to let people have uh, chickens uh, in, the, in town. Can't have roosters, but you can have chickens. Uh, and so there are more uh, people raising chickens uh, uh, for eggs. And the chickens can actually be sort of a fun uh, family pet as well. It'll be some of the most expensive eggs, but also some of the most delicious eggs you'll ever have if you get to have eggs uh, from uh, pastured chickens uh, that you've grown in your own yard. That uh, it can be a very fun family project. Yeah, the, the, the thing I find that with home-raised chickens, though, is a lot of times people wind up feeding them grains. <laughs> well, so I guess you just have to make sure you don't give them grains. You don't get into that. You know, th- there are these uh, roving chicken coops that you uh, put in, you just sort of uh, rove around your yard. If you don't rove them around your yard, people start using grain instead of letting them have um, uh, the grass and crickets. Got it. Um all right. And what about just lastly, I think one thing that you do talk about is sleep. Uh, where do you put that in yeah. importance? So um, sleep, while we sleep, uh, that's when a lot of the toxins are removed from the brain. That is when uh, we do a lot of detoxifying in our liver. That is when we do a lot of manufacturing of hormones. And so if there's not enough sleep, all of those important things are compromised. Uh, and so sleep is important. I, I, earlier in my life, uh, I, you know, I'm easily activated so that I often would not get much sleep. And I thought that was fine because I had a lot to do in life. I've now since learned that seven to nine hours is really much, much better. And so I, I've, uh, I'm much more consistent about uh, going to bed, uh, a usual routine, same time that I go to bed, same time that I get up. Uh, and I'm far more consistent in the seven to eight hours of sleep every night, uh, which is much better. If, if you want to increase your inflammation, increase the probability of uh, obesity, of mental health problems, of heart attacks, of strokes, uh, then you shorten your sleep. If you want to uh, be lean, have a good brain, and live a long time, Make sure you have uh, seven to nine hours of sleep every night. Yeah, that's that's my goal. If my kids would uh, let me go to bed early enough, because I've always been an early riser, <laughs> so it's 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 a lofty goal that I rarely achieve. Um, it, well, you know, it takes a while, um, and it took me a while to get get everything um, uh, reset, uh, it, and so. One of the things I like to do is take a Epsom salts bath uh, and read a few minutes before going to bed. Uh, and so actually I take a cold Epsom salts bath uh, with ice in it, uh, and then I go off to bed. That cold oh. bath, uh, uh, the nights I do that are, are the some of the best sleep that I get. I, I have not heard the cold version. That's interesting. Uh well, this has been great. Um, I am going in the show notes, going to uh, link out and I'll, I'll um, touch base with you as well and make sure that we have a, a good yeah. list. So um, a, a couple things. Uh, let me pitch for the show notes. Uh, I'll give sure. you links for our clinical trial. 
we have a couple of studies that we're uh, doing with Bastyr, uh where they have some uh, lovely uh, diet and lifestyle questions for people with Parkinson's and with MS. Um, so there are three uh, studies uh, that I'd love to see you uh, linked in your uh, show notes. Uh, and then uh, every summer in August, uh, we have a seminar uh, where we have hundreds of people come uh, to Iowa uh, to learn more uh, about the protocol. We have clinicians that come uh, and stay and get uh, trained and get certified in the Wallace Protocol. Uh, and so uh, that uh, that's something that we have every August. Uh, that if people want to learn more, they can certainly come spend a few days with us. Yeah, and I will, I will, of course, I believe you have a, a good resource for people that have been trained already yes, uh, yeah. in various neighborhoods. So I will, I will make sure to link to that as well. Um, well I really appreciate your time today. Um, this, is, this has been great. Um, and I, I think this is uh, the, the beginning of, of uh, several conversations. And, and uh, I think our, our, our paths will materially overlap over time because we're Certainly seeing the world in similar ways. Um, and, uh, and I thank you for your time. Well, thank you very much. The pleasure is mine.